This is the 401 Podcast. Join Rhode Island sports journalist and basketball scribe Kevin McNamara with guests from the Ocean State sports scene and beyond. Now, here's your host, Kevin McNamara. Hello and welcome back to the 401 Podcast on Kevin Mac Sports. I'm your host, Kevin McNamara. Well, thank you for joining me and most of all, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thanksgiving, well, it's always about family and food and certainly football, but thanks to ESPN and Fox, it's also about college basketball. It's just exploded during Thanksgiving, you know, feast week, all that type of stuff. It's outstanding. So many great games unfolding right now. Started really last week with the Gavit games and the strong effort by the Big East over the Big Ten. This week, Gonzaga and UCLA, number one versus number two can't top that and you know there's just so many great games so enjoy them all as you digest your turkey and the stuffing and the leftovers just don't get into those crazy arguments with the father-in-law the brother-in-law you know do what you can maybe a little side bet make things interesting in between the games please send this 401 podcast to a family member or a friend we know you'll enjoy our visit with dana o'neill of the athletic dana has written a book about the heyday of the big east the roaring 1980s and about the impact that that era had on the sport. It's all about Dave Gavitt and Big John Thompson, Louie, Raleigh, Beheim, Patino, PJ, Jim Calhoun, and Patrick and Chris, the Pearl, Ed Pickney, Billy Donovan. It was certainly a great era. The era where I was a high school kid chasing the basketball dream, and then a college student dialed into the craziness with a front row seat. So I love Dana's book, but you will too, I promise. So pick up her book for the holidays and send it to that basketball fan in your life. Well, we're very pleased to welcome in Dana O'Neill, the author of a book that all Big East fans, all college basketball fans will really enjoy. It's The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball. And uh, Dana, I know we've talked about this for uh, a year or so, and uh, I'm so happy that uh, it's out and uh, you must be excited to, to see how it's going. Yeah, it's been great. And let me start out by saying thank you to you, Kevin, for helping me and being a source for this book, because obviously your knowledge of the league is as good as anyone. So I appreciate it. But yeah, it's it's kind of always fun to see the finished product and see people are responding to it in a positive way. You never know, right? You think you like it and you hope other people will, because it's just such a fun, crazy conference. It deserves to be, I don't know, read and, and kind of celebrated, in my opinion. No, uh, absolutely. And there's been other books, you know, written on the Big East. Uh, my, yep. friend, my friend Bill Reynolds wrote one way back and I, I think it was uh, 1989 and uh, I did write Basketball Warfare in 2006. Yep. Uh, but hey, how about every 15 years a Big East book? That means things are going well <laughs> I, 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 and they're all going to do pretty well. So it's good. Uh, Dana, uh, first, everyone knows that you know, you've had a long career in Philadelphia and at ESPN and now at The Athletic. But maybe uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, what is your tie to Eastern basketball in the league? Where did you grow up? What's your maybe earliest Big East memory? Man, I don't, I don't even know my earliest members. I just think about that one. But, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, so, you know, kind of in the heart of everything. Um, watching the Big East from afar as a kid and, and, you know, just a fan of the crazy games and the memories. I mean, I remember watching, you know, Big Monday games and, and Patrick Ewing and being kind of like, I don't say in, intimidated by him, but kind of intimidated by him from afar, you know, just watching him on the screen. And I just thinking what an amazing uh, – 
league it was. And then as I got older and I got to cover it, I was honestly a little starstruck at first when I got to talk to John Thompson Jr. and talk to Jim Calhoun and talk to Luke Karnaseka. Um, you know, one of my earliest games, was, I was working at the Trentonian when, when Roley and uh, Villanova played Princeton in the NCAA tournament. And I remember like sitting like, what am I doing interviewing Roley Messamino? Like I watched hmm. him on TV all these years. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. one of those surreal pinch me moments. Like I get to do this now for a living. How about your first Big East tournament? Because uh, I know that, that, that that's so much a part of this book. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, as a, I didn't get to go to them. I guess, you know, obviously I just remember watching them all and remember watching you know the the Michael Graham and the the punch and and that that chaos of uh, coverage wise. I guess it's probably when I started working again at the Trentonian. They would be gracious enough to, to send me all over the place to go cover games. The one I do remember is you know, when I started to cover Villanova for the for the Philadelphia Daily News, and I was with Jay Wright and went up with them. And you know, they weren't very good early, and just going up and, and watching games um, with them. And you know, I can't even think of all the moments, but. The six overtime game is, of course, the one that I can't believe I got to actually get paid to watch. For sure, they they all blend together because they're all uh, they do. They, they really do. Uh, great memories. Uh, we're going to start going to make this as Providence centered as we can, but uh, obviously everything started in Providence with with Dave Gavitt yep. and people who aren't familiar. I, I thought you really did a really good job on bringing together. Uh, how the the original seven w- were brought together and why? Because there was uh, something called the ECAC, a, a kind of far flung conglomerate of schools back in the seventies, and uh, Dave was the first one to pretty much say, "If we don't get a conference together, uh, I'm going to pe- keep playing New Hampshire and Maine <laughs> and Fairleigh Dickinson, and I'm not going to be able to get any players." Now there were other reasons why this came together, but uh, just a little bit about the formation of the league. Yeah, it's funny, like, you know, you look back in retrospect and you think, how how did no one see this? It makes mm. such great sense. I mean, all these great players were in the Northeast, you know, the, the history of basketball, the people that loved it, the garden, it all made such sense. But at the time, you know, really Dave Gavitt was the only one that kind of saw it for what it needed to be. You know, as you said, the big ECAC, it was a bit messy, but it was working. I mean, coaches were pretty content. They were scheduling the games the way they wanted. They were winning games. They were making the NCAA tournament. And they, of course, were like, well, why mess with a good thing? But, you know, Gavitt saw the potential in aligning schools together. And the reason it worked is because he was a coach first. And, and so he spoke their language. He had that immediate credibility with the coaches when was able to sell them and convince them that this would work because they were the harder sell. The administrators, you know, could see the forest from the trees. They could see the finances and why it would work. But the coaches were a little bit more dug in. And the fact that he could speak coach to them, I think, made this very palatable. Well, it's funny. Uh, you have a great anecdote about maybe the one coach who was more of a holdout than most was Louis Carnesecca because, to yep. your point, they won all the time. You know, they played on campus. Uh, it was easy. They only played a few games in the garden then. It really wasn't St. John's like we know it now. And Louis mm-hmm. was like, well, Dave plied me with a little wine, and <laughs> we were all set. We jumped on board as well. And that's how it was because, you know, Dave and Louis had coached against each other and been great rivals. And then when Dave was going to be the commissioner, uh, the sign-in was great. And obviously his relationship with John Thompson back to Thompson's playing days at yep. Providence really helped with the Hoyas, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, I mean, he knew John Thompson as a player. In fact, John Thompson basically credits Dave Gavitt for helping him to stick around Providence because he really wanted to transfer, and, and Dave kind of took care of him and made sure he didn't. So that was paramount in, in terms of everything that he was able to do with the league because, you know, John – quite literally and figuratively spoke loudly. You know, he, carried, sure. he carried a big stick among his coaching peers 
Um, so his voice really, really mattered. And you're right. I mean, Louis had a great thing going. Why give it up? But um, but Dave convinced him that this could be better. And, and it's just amazing how right he was and how fast he was right. I mean, that league just took off like a rocket. Well, that, that was my next point is, you know, yeah, Louis did have it good at Alumni Hall, but in five years, six yep. years, whatever it was, he was in the final four. Uh, <laughs> uh, granted, yep. with, with all New Yorkers, you know, with Chris Mullen and Walter Berry, but uh, it, it certainly helped uh, to be playing out of the Big East for sure. Let's take a break from the 401 podcast and hear from our friends at Haxton's Liquors. Although social distancing regulations have relaxed in Rhode Island, we've got to stay away from this Delta variant, of course. Everyone feels safe when they head over to Haxton's Liquors on Bald Hill Road in Warwick, Rhode Island. Haxton stocks all the top wines and spirits, plenty of beer, a huge selection of spiked seltzers, and all the mixers. Haxton's is always ready to serve you, so stop in and see my friends, Tim and Bobby Haxton. They do an excellent job with air filtration in their giant store, and we're thrilled that they are proud sponsors of Kevin Mack Sports. Now we want to welcome the Athletics' Dana O'Neill back to the 401 Podcast. Uh, Dana, I, I did think that there were several themes of the 80s, even into the 90s, that are relevant today. And we, we know that the Big East is a very different group today uh, with no football schools. Um, but the one that jumped out w- was the greater good. Uh, I, I think today it, this Big East is a very unique place in that uh, Ed Cooley roots for Jay Wright and Creighton roots for uh, Xavier, etc. And that was certainly the case back at the dawn of the league as well. Yeah, I feel like the league has almost been recreated in its own image, if you will, right? It kind of, it, it ballooned, obviously, because of football. And I don't want to say it lost its way, but things changed. Like, there was a lot of infighting because of the football. But when it, when it died, it had to come back. They, they went back to their roots. They understood that we were better together than we are apart. And that was the message that Gavitt always sold to his coaches. Like, I don't care if you complain about each other behind closed doors, but in public, you need to take care of one another. You need to support one another. You need to support this league. And the collegiality that exists, I think, among Big East coaches today is sadly, frankly, unique. I mean, you don't necessarily see as much support as you do within other conferences within the Big East. But they understand that as an outlier, as a basketball-centric league, they have to be that way. And it works, and it really works. And, it, and it's kind of cool to see how they kind of went back to their own roots to become successful again. It really is. We're with Dana O'Neill. She's the author of the new book on the Big East that uh, everyone needs to get for their holiday stockings and etc. And Dana, I'm going to uh, uh, oblige you and read a little bit from your book. Uh, This is Uh Madison Square Garden and New York. The city that never sleeps afforded the basketball insomniacs plenty of options. Everyone finding their favorite late night spot to gather and unwind. Uh, you have two spots for the referees. You have a spot for uh, people like you and I, Runyons, way back when, yep. and, and Syracuse in the 80s, which I, I didn't know. I was a Syracuse person in the 80s. The players had no no curfew. What's better than that? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I think that was absolutely hilarious. Like, you know, Bayheim. Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, I don't think people understand. Bayheim still to this day is pretty... I'll say loosey-goosey isn't the right word, but his practices are always open. He's pretty chill. And back then, like, yeah, they didn't even have, they didn't even have a curfew. So they're, like, sneaking out and, you know, going out to bars and clubs in the middle of the Big East tournament, which is just 
insane if you think about it, but they kept winning, so why it didn't seem to matter. Yeah, we, we were always on spring break, so the, the city was uh, filled with Syracuse people, so I'm sure the players wanted to hang out with their friends. It's it's understandable. Exactly. I did know that when Derek Coleman arrived, uh, Tim Welsh was an assistant on that uh, 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 Syracuse team. He told me that uh, we, we had a Derek rule, so we went to La- the LaGuardia Marriott. So something clearly happened once Derek Coleman arrived, which is not a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Not a shock at all. Probably a wise decision there by the Syracuse staff. So the way you uh, built this book is pretty much every program uh, through the 80s, and, and then you took off from there. And obviously Providence's big program in the 80s was Rick Pitino and 1987 yep. and and the uh, Final Four. And, and uh, I, I thought you captured the well, exactly why that team, uh, one of the most untalented Final Four teams in history, uh, they embraced the three-point shot like no one else to the point where it was interesting. I, I think you had Jim Beheim saying uh, it's unfortunate for Patino that he had to play us in the semifinal because we know him so well. If they had played either Indiana or UNLV, maybe Providence wins the national championship. I don't, you know, I don't disagree with that that contention at all because you know it's again hard to fathom now in the era that we're in now that the three-point shot was sort of like this. I don't know, oddity or this, people thought it was a fad. I mean, coaches hated it when mm. it came out. They absolutely hated it. But Patino saw it as a great equalizer, especially for his team that lacked talent. And um, he's right. I mean, I think Beheim is right. Other teams probably would not have paid it as much mind as he did, but he understood how Providence wanted to play. And it was revolutionary. I mean, there's no way that Providence does what they do without that shot. But, you know, that's Patino. I think. There's been a lot, obviously, under the bridge with, with, with uh, Rick Pitino over the years. But his coaching acumen and the way he sees things that suit his team is unbelievable. And he looked at that roster and said, we can't win, you know, player on player. We need not a gimmick, but we need something. And perfect timing. The three-point shot comes in, and he just owns it like nobody else. And made, made Billy Donovan not only a hero here in uh, Rhode Island, but um, maybe launched him on his – on his road to great coaching is too because because B- so. B- Billy nearly transferred and the three point shot comes in and he becomes a all Big East player because Patino says you can shoot as many threes as you like if a couple if thirty one percent go in or whatever the target was it was it was a fascinating run for sure. Let's take a break from our conversation and hear from our friends at Manscaped. This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Do I tell my extended family that I have the Performance Package 4.0 from the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Absolutely. Not to mention, it includes their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to trim in all the right places and score brownie points with the missus. Give yourself Manscaped or the man in your life who needs it. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code KMAC, that's K-M-C, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code KMC at manscaped.com. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Dana, I'm curious, last couple ones, uh, the garden. And the garden has been such a huge part of the Big East and its success. Again, it was almost too obvious not to go to the garden back in 1983, I guess it was, pretty much when Patrick Ewing uh, and Chris Mullen arrived in the league. Uh, Is that the one irreplaceable piece of the Big East success that we can't lose going forward? I think so. You know, 
I just think um, it's not just an identity piece, which it is, of course. People associate the Big East with Madison Square Garden, but that market is, you know, critical. Let's be honest, the Big Ten moved their entire tournament for a week ahead to try to play in the Garden. The Mm. ACC has come to New York. Like, people understand what New York offers. And because so many of the biggest moments in Big Big East history happen in that tournament in New York, it is part of their fabric. I thought it was really wise when they renegotiated everything. That was one of the first things that they made sure of because they understood that there is a name recognition. There is a branding there. And, yeah, I get it. It's not the same when Creighton is playing Marquette. I get it. It's not the same as it used to be. It never is going to be. But people will still come because it's in the Garden. New Yorkers and Northeasterners will still come because it's the Big East. So it works out immensely well, and I, I don't think that that is something they could ever afford to give up, and they were so smart, so, so smart to, to lock that down. I'm with you, and, and sure enough, uh, it has worked because uh, we, we, they haven't landed on that Xavier Creighton championship game just yet, but but the Garden <laughs> exactly. has sold out uh, multiple years in a row now for the Big East tournament. Uh, we can thank Villanova and, and those Philadelphia people and Amtrak for that, uh, probably more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> Good old New Jersey Transit. Too, exactly. <laughs> Go New Jersey Transit. Uh, Dana, last one. Um, there are naysayers around the country, even, you know, we're coming up on 10 years of this new Big East. Uh, we've had national champions, uh, more NCA success from Villanova than everyone else combined. And I think that is a major concern throughout the current Big East that, uh, you know, more teams have to be able to chip in come March. Uh, however, your projections, next five, 10 years, is this, uh, obviously the NCA is a very fluid situation right now. Uh, football totally dominates and is calling all the shots. We can't predict the future, but how do you feel about the Big East future going forward? You know, I'll be honest. At the very beginning of this, I was one of the, not critics, but cynics. I was like, I don't know if this is going to fly, guys. I appreciate what you're doing. I agree with why you're doing it. But is it going to actually be competitive? I wasn't sure. And they have proven me wrong considerably. But I think going forward, you're right. The number one thing is somebody other than just Villanova has to be consistently good. Um, and look, it's great if it's Creighton or Marquette. If they can get St. John's and Georgetown, the two teams that have that name brand recognition, to be great again or, or at least competitively good again, that will raise the league's image considerably. Bringing UConn back was brilliant for both parties. UConn messed themselves up but royally mm-hmm. by chasing football. I mean, they are a basketball identity school. They belong in the Big East. And they are a team that can, can compete nationally, so that helps the league. But I'll be really curious to see what happens going forward. I mean, the interesting thing is, like, the league was pecked picked apart because of conference realignment and now they're pretty safe like no one's coming to take any big east teams because they don't have any inventory that anybody wants there's no football but that doesn't mean the big east needs to sit still and i've talked to val ackerman about you know expansion you know the atlantic 10 just added loyola chicago does the big east need to start thinking about where else they can expand if they want to i don't I think they can be choosy, but I think they should keep their options open because you want to ensure the strength of the league top to bottom, not just top heavy. You know, everyone talks about Gonzaga as the great big carrot that everyone wants. You'd have to really expand the league to get Gonzaga to work. But it's something that they need to consider. Just what do we want to be, you know, five years? Are we happy with the teams that we have or do we need to add more? Um, But I think they're really stable. I really do. I think that they have they have security in knowing who they are and more importantly in who they're not, which I think a lot of leagues don't have that kind of security these days. No question. Uh, Danny, can you tell everyone how to get uh, your book? I can tell you 
Rhode Island people, you can go to Books on the Square and, and on the east side. I was there last week, and uh, sure enough, it was prominently displayed. So uh, in this day and age, with not as many bookstores, uh, obviously go to your favorite bookstore. But uh, what other ways can they track it down? Yeah, thank you. You can get it, you know, obviously the good old uh, good old fashioned way. And I, I am a big local bookstore uh, person. So, yes, that's one option. Of course, Amazon is always an option. Barnes & Noble online. The Penguin Random House site is also an option online if you want to get some and but I'm a big believer in bookstores, so if people can hit the bookstore, I'm all for that, for sure. <laughs> Me too. Pick up a few, support your favorite authors. There's a few great books out there right now uh, on basketball if you're a basketball or sports-centered uh, person. So, And make sure you grab uh, Dana O'Neill inside the most entertaining and influential conference in college basketball history, the Big East. Dana, I know you got a game to cover, so go right ahead, and I appreciate you joining me. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you for all of your help in this project. I really appreciate it. That's it for this week's 401 podcast. Thanks, as always, to producer extraordinaire and noted hoophead Kevin Collins and to Dana O'Neill. Chase down more of my college basketball stories and interviews here on the podcast on WPRO Radio in Providence, YouTube, KevinMacSports.com, or all of the above. Follow me on Twitter at KevinMcNamara33 for all the latest updates. Thanks also to our friends at Haxton's Liquors and Manscaped. The 401 Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Buzzsprout. Subscribe on whatever platform you enjoy most. Shoot us a like and look for the next edition of the 401 Podcast with Kevin McNamara. Thanks for listening to the 401 Podcast with Kevin McNamara. Get the 411 on the sports scene in the 401 by subscribing to the 401 Podcast from KevinMacSports.com.